You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. I am coming to you today from NPR Studios in Washington, where I'll be for the next two days, and then I'll be back in Detroit there with you guys, uh, the listeners of Detroit Today. Uh, Our inner cities are a disaster, is one of the things that Donald Trump said last year during his campaign for president. He says, you get shot walking to the store. They have no education. They have no jobs. Throughout his campaign, during his inaugural speech, and in the early days of his presidency, Trump has painted a really, really dark picture of modern American cities and metropolitan areas. And that's really in stark contrast to local politicians, especially Republicans, who tout Detroit as a comeback city and an emerging economic driver for our region and our entire state. The major debate here is whether that revitalization benefits anyone outside the city's core. How should we be approaching that question of urban policy and development in 2017? How do we make sure that cities are centers of economic opportunity and high qualities of life? And how do we make sure that those opportunities and that quality of life is accessible to as many people as possible. The Brookings Institution's Amy Liu is a national expert on cities and metropolitan areas who focuses on translating research and insights into action on the ground. She'll be a featured speaker at this year's Mackinac Policy Conference on Mackinac Island, and she joins me now on Detroit Today. Amy, welcome back to the show. Good morning, Stephen. Good yeah. to be with you. Yeah. So uh, let's start with those those things I quoted the president as saying about our cities. Our inner cities are a disaster. Uh, he was, we should also point out, he was talking about African-Americans. He was trying to appeal to African-American voters when he was saying these things, basically saying, what do you have to lose? Why wouldn't you vote for me? Look at what you got with the people you have been electing Is he right? Well, I do give the president credit for shedding light on the need to invest in our urban areas. And um, so that's a positive direction. Unfortunately, it is to characterize the way he described the inner city. And in fact, if this is about distressed communities or concentrated poverty, what we know is the bulk of concentrated distress is now in suburban areas, uh, not just in urban areas. Um, And given the great uh, migration to the suburbs, the majority of African-Americans now live in the suburbs today, Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to lots of our uh, residents. And so when we think about opportunity, it shouldn't just be about the distress in the urban core. We need to think about how do we lift up all neighborhoods whether it's in the city, in the older suburbs, in core counties, and the larger metropolitan area. And so how do we do that? I mean, that's that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Well, first of all, I think if you just look at the, the, the efforts in Detroit, right, I think the Detroit efforts show that in an, uh, in an absence of market activity, um, there are things that uh, civic business, philanthropic, government leaders can do together to create a seismic force and investment in rebooting opportunities in the urban core through uh-huh. transit investments, through relocating employment to, to downtown, midtown, to investing in small business and entrepreneurship. But what's so in contrast is that is not the conversation we're having in Washington. In fact, there is no affirmative 
urban policy, yeah. uh, despite all the talk about the inner city. Um, and in fact, today we, the president's about to unveil his new budget, and in those budget cuts will have a devastating impact yeah, on cities. I mean, for somebody who I think made a lot of promises about what his administration would do for cities, this first budget puts just a, a bald-faced lie to it all. I mean, the, the the cuts are going to devastate the things, the meager things that we've already gotten the federal government to focus on and to, and to help us with. He's just sort of wiping them off the map here, which which I think really raises the question about what his intent was uh, when when he was talking about those things during the campaign. I'm not sure I'm not sure how sincere he was, I guess, <laughs> uh, about all of that. And if you look at some of his appointments in the areas of the government that deal with with cities, uh, uh, HUD director uh, Ben Carson, for instance. I mean, it, it, these are not people who have spent their lives focused on these questions. Yeah, you know, I. At one moment, you know, I thought maybe there would be an urban agenda coming out of this administration, Trump himself being a real estate magnet in from uh, Manhattan. Yes. And so he likes to build things. Uh, and given his talk about reviving inner cities, uh, the focus on reviving Rust Belt economies, um, Ben Carson's own passion for how he lifted himself out of poverty growing up outside of Detroit, um, the emphasis on infrastructure. Mm -hmm. All of these things are really key components of a national urban agenda. And yet we haven't seen movements on any of those items. And in fact, the president's budget today actually takes a step back on many of those initiatives. In fact, it's almost an attack on poor people. Yeah. Uh, a lot of your work has been working with states and the federal government to sort of develop uh, these support models for cities and metropolitan areas. And I know of some of the things that you've done with uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, for instance. Uh, uh, talk about how Michigan and Detroit compare to other states and cities in terms of that relationship, that support that cities need to come back and, and to grow. Well, first of all, I think the, the state uh, partnership with cities is absolutely critical. And we are seeing that not only in uh, blue states like New York, but we're also seeing that sort of collaboration in red or purple states like Colorado, Nevada, and Tennessee, where Republican governors have stepped forward and created programs and strategies to lift up the ambitions of their uh, cities and regions. And so that's the partnership we need to see in Michigan, which is what uh, is Governor Snyder doing with to support Flint and Grand Rapids and the Detroit metropolitan area. And I think you see some glimpses of it. But if you take a look at what other um, governors have done, um, they have put investments in accelerating the growth of say, advanced manufacturing or helping their regional economies make transitions to new industries uh, because that's so important in places like Michigan. Yeah. They, in Tennessee, they worked with the community colleges that are sort of anchors in a lot of our local communities to make, um, a, you know, 
attainment of post-secondary credentials easier for more residents, sure. even making them free, um, and empowering workforce solutions. So that's that's really critical. My concern right now going forward, because we were just talking about the federal budget, mm-hmm. is the proposed Trump budget basically just chops off a lot of funding to states, Medicaid, um, disability for low-income people, um, and others. And those cuts will eventually get passed on to cities, which will test the relationship between states and cities to support, you know, working families, low-income people, and uh, urban neighborhoods. And and states cannot replace what they're going to lose from the federal government. They just don't have the money. I mean, I know we don't have it in Michigan, but I don't imagine that there are many states, if any, that can do that. Yeah, I, I think this is, um, for all the talk uh, from the administration about the desire to um, devolve down to states and localities because they know best, right. the reality is these budget cuts are not cuts that states and localities can absorb um, because both states and cities have to have balanced budgets. They can't carry deficits. And we're already working on really tight margins against increasing pensions and other costs. Um, And there's also a sense that the private sector can pick up a lot of these costs. And what we've seen is the private sector has already stepped up in ways that they can. But my bigger concern is not every community across urban and rural America have access to philanthropic and private sector capital. investments and yeah. capital to to match or fill in the gaps of public funding. And I think that is going to further uh, divide our local communities, uh, create a greater have and have nots between resource uh, constrained communities and uh resource accessible places. Yeah, yeah. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Amy Liu. She is vice president and director of the Metropolitan Policy Program at the Brookings Institution. She will be a featured speaker this year during the Mackinac Policy Conference next week on Mackinac Island. We're talking about the relationship between cities and states, cities and the federal government. What's the support that cities need to do better by their residents that they need to get from other places, from state coffers or from federal coffers? Federal uh, government, the federal budget that Donald Trump is uh, scheduled to release today is probably accurately described as devastating for that kind of support to cities. Uh, Big cuts in the kinds of things that make cities work and sort of make them sustainable, especially for their most vulnerable residents. What do you think of that idea? What do you think of the way that the federal government and the state support the city? What do you think about what's happened in places like Detroit and Flint uh, in the state of Michigan uh, under Governor Rick Snyder? Uh, the things that he's done, the things that he hasn't done for us. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or uh, go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Amy, I want to ask you specifically about Flint, uh, because I think even among 
cities and the challenges that cities have. Obviously, Flint stands apart, stands alone because of, of the water crisis. But one of the things I think we're having a hard time talking about or coming to terms with in the state of Michigan is what you do after that. I mean, everyone is deeply sorry that uh, that the things that happened in Flint happened. Everyone, I think, is focused on making sure it doesn't happen again. But we haven't yet pivoted to the idea that this is a city that, even before the water crisis, was under a fair amount of duress and needs a lot of different things. But where do you start and how do you come up with a blueprint to 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 really to really think that through i mean i know that's a big question and maybe maybe a little unfair to to throw in your lap but but if you could give some advice to the state even about where to start in flint what would it look like yeah i you know the water crisis in many respects is a reflection of the economic and fiscal crisis of the city uh, and the weakening of the tax base because of all the loss of jobs and income in the community. And so we have to go back to how do we restore the fiscal uh, health tax base and jobs in the community um, and bring that wealth back um, to the city so it can make those kind of investments again. Um, You know, I think in every, in, for cities like Flint, um, w- there are playbooks that we saw in Detroit that works, but we also have to find where there are market assets. One of the most interesting things I find about Flint is that there are some positive activity happening. Sure. And so how do we leverage that? So for instance, um, we put out a report every year called the Metro Monitor that looks at the uh, economic performance prosperity and inclusion of, of every single city in the country. And Flint, in the last five years post-recession, did lose jobs um, and did continue to lose employment while many cities gained. But the interesting thing is Flint gained jobs in young firms. There is an, an entrepreneurship, small business sort of counter story that's yeah. happening. And so while, so while the city's bleeding jobs, we're seeing employment growth increase in young firms. How do we, uh, because this is not a region that's going to attract the next big company. Right. So how do we create indigenous growth from within? And so I think we're starting to see some of that activity with the business incubator coming into downtown Flint um, that can bring more capacity to small uh, business growth. The other thing I would say is there's still really strong manufacturing presence in Flint uh, with the GM plant that is there. And even though manufacturing is not going to be a huge source of employment growth, the future of manufacturing is going to be completely dependent on its ability to embrace new technologies. Mm -hmm. And um, as you can see with the auto companies uh, partnering with uh, Google and other um, software companies. The question is, how can Flint use its small business startup to provide that technology solutions for the manufacturing sector or in the supply chain? And if we're deliberate about that, and we're seeing that in a lot of cities, that can begin to perhaps stem or even reverse uh, the trajectory while staying true, right? Staying true to what um, is a strong in Flint. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Amy Liu of the Brookings Institution about urban policy at the federal, the state, and the local level. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Eric in Detroit, Muhammad in Royal Oak. We will get to you next. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Amy Liu. She's the vice president and director of the Metropolitan Policy Program at the Brookings Institution. She's the featured speaker during this year's Mackinac Policy Conference on Mackinac Island, which takes place next week. We are talking about urban policy, the federal, the state, and the local level. Uh, Amy, you, you wanted to make a point about this this federal budget that's coming out uh, this week and the cuts that it makes, the, some of the assumptions that it makes about the most vulnerable people in, in our cities. Yeah, the, the Trump budget and the OMB director uh, both came out and said one of the reasons they've made such dramatic cuts to programs like Medicaid, to housing, to public schools even, to food stamps, is because they believe that we need to get people off federal, dependence on federal programs. Um, And yet what I, I want to change the narrative and understanding. There's a real misunderstanding in our federal policy right now, which is the majority of low-income people, two-thirds of poor households, have someone who is working, whether it's full-time or part-time work. And yet that employment is not getting them self-sufficient. They still need to live in housing with some rental assistance because those wages are not sufficient to get them to a home in the private sector rental market. We did some work, by the way, recently that looked at all the minimum wage increases across the country. You know, even at $15 an hour, Households try to support a household on that. Households right? at $15 an hour cannot afford a two bedroom apartment in the private sector market. Yeah. So, this is about we still need affordable housing in our cities. We still need workforce training to ensure or supports for student loans, which also just got cut, mm-hmm. uh, to help people get the training skills they need to get to better jobs. Or we need economic development programs also cut um, to f- help cities diversify and create a larger supply of decent paying jobs. Of good jobs, right? All of that is needed in order to help low-income people move to the path of true independence from government supports. Mm. But what this budget did... did just pushes them off. Yep. Yeah, and and that's going to make it worse cruel. for mm-hmm. everybody. Uh, yeah, let's go, to, uh, let's go to the phones here. Uh, Eric in Detroit, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, good morning, Stephen. Good morning. How are you uh-huh. doing today? Good. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Um, talking about the way uh, state and federal, uh, state and federal government approach, you know, sort of funding the basic activities of government. Uh, the truth is, you're seeing these cuts because, in essence, at least in Detroit, how it's played out is an attempt to privatize. If you take uh, Detroit's core, for example, that's seven point two. What you're seeing in uh, in downtown and midtown is essentially the privatization of, of, of government services through public 
you know, ostensibly public-private partnerships where the public part uh, takes uh, the back seat. You look at campus huh. marches, the, and you, you've got public parks being run by those kind of partnerships. You've got security being handled uh, largely by private security. You've got, you know, the streets, you've got uh, transportation, even the schools. All of that is being done because the city, because the state and federal government have essentially um, sort of abdicated uh, those responsibilities sure. when it comes to government. And the city doesn't, and cities don't have the resources, as you noted, to actually pick up the slack. The problem, there's lots of problems with this, not least of which being sort of the civil liberties implications of having yeah. policing done by private, you know, by private entities, the education, mass transit. There are all sorts of issues here until the government at every level decides that governing actually means providing something. It, there's almost nothing cities can do other than to yeah. turn to these kind of partnerships. I, I, I think you're pointing to a really deep philosophical problem in the way that, that we see government or, or that many people see government. They see it as an interference in sort of private activity as opposed to a support for public activity. And that, that, that contrast, I think you put that really well, Eric, uh, about you know, if we gave government the money to do the things that it needed to do, uh, we wouldn't have all of these sort of, uh, we wouldn't have these same questions about how they're, how they're getting done. Eric, thank you very much uh, for that call and those comments. Let's go to Mohammed in Royal Oak. Mohammed, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning, Sif. Uh, good morning, your guest. Um, uh-huh. I just wanted to mention about uh, your guest earlier spoke about uh, basically the distribution of wealth. And I think that's a very important topic as far as the effect that federal government has on the development of cities and the residents of the cities. Because um, if you consider cities like Detroit, Flint, these are the communities that are struggling. And uh, with the current policy that's being proposed by by, uh, Trump and administration, um, I think it will significantly reduce the access and ability of people to move forward and uh, basically, um, and, and, and also in the long term, uh, the policies that we make today will affect our cities in 10 years, 20 years. So um, cutting all those uh, fundings and uh, Medicare or uh, Medicaid and all, all, all these uh, benefits that uh, low-income people cannot afford will, you know, um, I think it's very contrad- contradictory, the statements that are coming from the administration versus the policies yeah. that they're they're providing, and um, yeah, uh, I, yeah. Mohammed, thank you very much for the for the call. I want to give Amy Lou uh, a chance to respond to that because we're we've got about a minute left in the show. Yeah, I was going to say that the you know the administration um, had an opportunity through the budget to say yes, cities and localities and counties or intermediaries, universities know better mm-hmm. how to jumpstart economy. Um, so we're going to give you incentives. We're going to give you greater flexibilities. We are going to give you um, a, a better set of tools so you can create the right kind of uh, comprehensive approaches to jumpstart your economy. And there's a That's way, not what they did. Yeah, right? and there's a way to do that even within the paradigm of Republican thinking mm-hmm. about government. They just they're not they're not in that space. This is more like a punishment almost of cities and particularly of again, the people, the people who live in them. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, Amy Liu, uh, Vice President and Director of the Metropolitan Policy Program at Brookings Institution, featured speaker this year on Mackinac Island during the Mackinac Policy Conference next week. We'll see you next week on Mackinac. Maybe we'll have you back on the show. Look forward to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow. I'll still be here in Washington uh, broadcasting from NPR studios here. Remember, if you didn't catch the full program today, you can always go to iTunes or wherever it is you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. You can listen to us whenever or wherever you want. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber-Davis and Jake Neer. The program director is Joan Isabella. Technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our associate producers are Aaron Allen, Addie Wallace, Gus Navarro, and Ria Basha. The Detroit Today theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bovian, and I want to thank engineer Brian Jarbo for helping us out here today in Washington. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. See you tomorrow.